0: Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bar & Burner Podcast Network on whatever platform you get your podcasts. When we first started recording podcasts, we didn't know how to get them distributed to all the common places where you find shows like ours. There were just so many options, and the instructions weren't always the easiest to follow. Then we found Anchor. Anchor allows us to record our shows directly through their app and edit them right then and there, which allows us to avoid the cumbersome process of uploading our shows in several different stages and then trying to distribute them across platforms. Honestly, Anchor does all the heavy lifting for us, which allows us to focus on what we do best, create content for you, the fans. Download the Anchor app today, and you too can get started on your way to building a brand.
1: All right, the power of podcasting compels you, Derek. This is The Exorcist from 1973 on In the Can, part of the Bar Burner Podcast Network.
0: Something beyond comprehension is happening to a little girl on this street. In this house, a man has been sent for as a last resort to try and save her.
1: All right. That was uh that was the trailer for the exorcist. It is such a seventies trailer. It is amazing. Uh it's just a bunch of stills if you weren't able to see the uh actual footage. Uh it, it yep. with the a shot of the famous shot of Father Marin arriving for the exorcism and a bunch of stills of like of reagan possessed and and then yep. the, the i think of the, the demon pazuzu right who is inserted yep. in the movie but it, and so it's it's honestly it sets up nothing uh, it's probably right? before they shot anything uh, we, let's,
0: let's just take a moment and appreciate trailers like that and how we don't get those anymore and, and, and i that would have blown my mind if i were you know as a kid at the time to see that thing on tv but yeah, Absolutely.
1: No. Black so. and white stills and sets it up with the the you know what you're about to see as a woman, as a little girl that's in trouble and a man sent to save her and just doesn't tell you everything like trailers nowadays. Uh, exactly. But let's introduce you real quick, man. This is, a, this yeah. is a, the barn chief, Sam Strantz from the Burner Podcast Network. This is In the Can, our movie podcast to join for the first time with Derek Steiner, um, a screenwriter in his own right out in LA and, and involved heavily in the industry who is a horror movie aficionado. And uh, I couldn't mm-hmm. be more excited to talk about 1973 is The Exorcist. So, Derek, how are you, man?
0: I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm psyched to talk about one of the greatest horror movies of all time and a movie I saw way too young.
1: <laughs> I think that's that the salt way too young thing is pretty common for people of our generation. Uh, yep. That and Jaws, movies that were kind yep. of on TV for a right. period of time before I think networks realized, like, why do we run this during like well, three o'clock? Um, well, then, and, those, were, th- those were those movies that were in that gray zone before like PG
0: 13 was around. And it was like, it was like not graphic enough to really warrant that, you know, don't let the kids watch this, but it's definitely, you know, uh,
1: definitely stuff we should not have been seeing at our at a young age. That's true. But those are, those are formative experiences, you know, and that, that's why sure. we are as fucked up as we are today. Uh, yeah, so sense. we have the, uh, the plot description. It's short. It's 1973 horror movies are thought to be a laughable makeup affairs that with no prestige at all. Um, then this film comes out about a 12 year old possession and her mother's attempts to rescue her, um, via exorcism conducted by two priests, kind of changed mm-hmm. the, the market uh, for both horror and pea soup, as we'll find out. <laughs> and you know, and what are your general thoughts on The Exorcist, and how did you come to it as a young filmgoer or film watcher? The Exorcist was always one of those, like, uh, the
0: t- one of those uh, salacious titles. It was one of those titles that promised something that. Uh, you shouldn't be seeing. And, and, and as a kid, you know, I, I watched Night of the Living Dead, I watched The Shining, and The Exorcist was one that friends and my parents would always say, That's the one you can't watch. That's the one that's going to mess you up. So naturally, my dad let me watch it. And, uh, <laughs> like, and, any and good like any good father, mm-hmm. because, because, you know, like uh, it's not, and look, I love slashers. It's not, but like The Exorcist is a prestige horror film in a way it is a beautifully directed movie made by a filmmaker that has you know oscar pedigree uh so it, it doesn't feel like trash and it's hard to get uh it's hard for horror to get respected you know academy award wise and and, and um you know uh review wise so uh so my dad let me watch it because it was a great movie. It, was, it came from that era of like The Godfather and and you know obviously Friedkin went on did The French Connection. So uh, so yeah, I got to watch it at a uh, at a very young age and uh, and believe it or not, it was not as scary as I expected it to be considering you know because we of our generation we were used to gore and there wasn't any gore in this not really. So uh, that always stood out to me um I, but growing older i just appreciated it more and more and more because of you know the
1: existential horror of it all and, and the
0: performances and i don't know
1: yeah yeah it's really like it's an unnerving movie it, it's more in the you know you think of a moderate like Ari aster is kind of a guy that channels what this guy's what you know freaking and um willie bladdy or what will bladdy are doing uh yeah. in this movie and it's it's a situation where I think it was hyped up and we come up in an era where like you got hostile, you got all the torture porn shit mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and you, you know, you've got uh, you've got all those remakes of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and some of those 70s slashers where they just kind of up the gore and put like rom zombie music in the background. And then, you know, Absolutely. like disturbed is playing over the, the credits. And you know, it's just like mm-hmm. that, that weird new metal era of horror that we had. Um, And so when we watched something like this, again, we were kind of like, oh, what the hell? Like no one's getting their head chopped off or whatever. And I think once you get older, and I I know neither of us have kids, but you kind of get the whole, this would be awful. Like it just puts oh, a, my gosh. a pit in your stomach where you're. You understand, like if one of your pe- happened to your people, like your sure. friends kid or something, even like you would just. The situation uh, is unnerving to think about being in, and I think that's. I what, mean, any
0: yeah. Anytime you have to, you go to the doctor, and the doctors don't know what to do. You know, you're in trouble, and it's like.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: That that always. I mean, especially on the rewatch, that that struck me for sure, and and, and I just wanted to bring up real quick, like there was one i mean maybe you can pick up on this there was one scene in this movie that always got me as a kid and still gets me as an adult and it's not like the head spinning it's not the vomit it is it's the uh the hospital uh procedure the angiogram or something yep. with uh, oh my gosh that got me and uh and it still does so like that is the version that is the hostile moment of a very uh beautifully made art film
1: in a way I feel like that freakin's like, hey, medical procedures are just as violent and awful as like possessions. Uh, and Especially I'm going to watch-
0: to a little girl, a right. little helpless girl who, again, she does a great job in this, and and, and it helped that you know they use real medical technicians and they shot it as accurately as possible, and it just it, it felt like this harrowing nightmare uh, that oh. had nothing to do with the devil.
1: No, no, uh, 83 yeah. percent on Rotten Tomatoes found that mm-hmm. kind of low. Uh, If I'm being honest and and wondered uh, that there, there was some level of backlash initially when this movie came out because of its pure content, right? You're, you're in the seventies. It's still early. Uh, I think it's uh, right before the Godfathers, Godfather 74, I think, or maybe a little bit after that. So, I mean, we're at the beginning of kind of this easy rider uh, raging Mm -hmm. bull era of movies that that come. Yeah. I think they called it,
0: well, the Godfather of 72. So this was right there. It's that new wave of of Hollywood filmmakers. of Yeah. Coppola, Friedkin, Spielberg, De Palma, all those guys. And they were making those grounded, like documentary style, style movies for sure.
1: But then you got Um, the devil, you've got the Catholic church, which is, you know, just a, a renowned entity in America. And this is obviously well before any of the well-documented, uh, uh, you know, molestations. Uh, right. We brought spotlight recently. So that's uh weirdly. Mm-hmm. In my mind. There you uh, go. And so, you know, it, it is a movie that people fucking fainted in. People mm-hmm. were carried out. And a lot of people don't know whether it was the possession elements or the mm-hmm. medical procedure elements, as you referenced earlier, but inevitably sure. insane. I mean, it, I, what I can't imagine all, yeah. is, is seeing this movie at this time. If I was like 14, it would have mm-hmm. fucking ruled to be able to go mm-hmm. see this. And never, like, you know, have the interest that I had, but just being able to, like, see this for the first time at a time where nothing like this existed and people weren't pushing the envelope. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, I I just can't, just like seeing Star Wars for the first time in 77, like, you can't fathom that experience. uh,
0: Totally. And The Exorcist also had that wonderful uh, William Castle type thing going for it, where the more bad press it got in terms of audience reaction, the more popular it became, you know. In the 70s, this is when, you know, when you wanted to go to the movies, you had to wait in line to get in. And uh, and when you see people, you know, with paramedics waiting outside and carrying, carting people out like that, you know, that's going to put you on edge the moment you walk into that theater. And, and, like, I'm envious that I've never really experienced anything like that. That was, like, a very gimmicky thing that, like, I, I just, I wish I could have been there for
1: yeah. I mean, I remember just to, I mean, not to mention Hostile two times in one podcast, but that kind of mm-hmm. had that stuff going on. Like people were like, oh, it's sure. so gross. Like you'll vomit because you're seeing all this crazy stuff. It had a little sure. bit of that, but nothing like this, nothing with prestige yeah. where you have, but moving into Billy Freakin, William Freakin, uh, you know, mm-hmm. he coming off the French Connection and mm-hmm. you know, going on to have an entirely, I mean, maybe a little bit of a disappointing career comparatively to where he started with French Connection and then The Exorcist, but sure. a, a renowned filmmaker in his own right. Has a yep. very distinct style uh, and directs like you did in the 70s, which is beats the shit out of your actors <laughs> and uh, berage, literally berage like commit assault uh, routinely fire, on, on set. Fires guns near actors ears. I mean, it, it's yeah. the the stories are insane. And yep. I mean, I, not to be like the woke guy, but like, yep. you just again, you can't fathom it happening. Anywhere
0: near near. By now. the way, he doesn't deny it at all. He doesn't play it off like you know. I I read the freaking connection last year, which is really I highly recommend it. It's his autobiography, and he's open and honest about it. And to him, that's how he brought out performances. You know, that's how he got the what he wanted. Nowadays, though, you know, it's kind of we really, we. I don't condone it at all. People should not be doing that to actors. If they're actors for a reason, but there is something kind of like charming about it.
1: I get it, and and again, I do respect the fact that he owns up to it. He's like, yeah, like he doesn't say like it's really good to shoot gun in people's ears. No, but he says I did that. I yeah, had did it. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, famously, and when the phone rings in Father Karen's room, and you know, he looks over really fast, and you're like, wow, that's a really crazy reaction for a phone ring. That was because mm-hmm. freaking had fired off like a double-barreled shotgun right next to his head. <laughs> that's uh, right. And then the actor, of course, very pissed and said, uh, "Get me the fuck off the set." And mm-hmm. Billy Freakin, deadpan, responded, uh, that's great. We have Jack Nicholson waiting in the wings anyway. And <laughs> oh, I, didn't know that amazing I mean, yeah. it, like, this guy is incredible. Uh, I mean, it, go I mean ahead. He,
0: fro- he literally, he froze the set. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, during the possession sequence, I mean, during the possession uh, scene, he, he had the set, I think it was, like, somewhere like 30 degrees. Like, he literally froze the actors because he wanted that breath nowadays that's seen as over the top and unreasonable but back then that's that was that era and style of filmmaking
1: i watched Um, the uh yeah i watched the making of before this pod and it's it's an hour it's on youtube it's worth it it's i think mm -hmm. it was made around 2000 when they released the director's cut and freaking's talking about how now they just cgi all that shit and he's like yeah just couldn't do that then he was like i I mean if you wanted breath like yeah you could just add that in right now but Mm -hmm. then there was no way i could get what i wanted and, and make they it needed look, the breath, and it breath. does
0: work. It is, it is a it, you feel cold when you watch that sequence,
1: it's true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, a couple other things. He, uh, you know, of course, strapped up uh, Reagan, uh, and her mother, mm-hmm. Chris, and, and to harnesses when they had to do the, the convulsing scenes. And when Reagan right. punches her mom, and her mom flies back, and um, famously, Ellen Burstein famously broke her coccix, yeah. uh, but yeah. he flung back and freaking apparently panned the camp like nodded to his cameraman to zoom in on uh, Burstein's actual uh, like actual pain to get it yeah. a couple extra shots of an insert and Burstein mm-hmm. just almost left the set. it's just it's amazing stuff and
0: yeah. and Linda Blair to this day complains about back pain from from that harness and and then just that was the take
1: they use the one that really hurt her back um, right yeah. uh, Warner's approached uh, Stanley Kubrick and Mike Nichols to direct before they went to before they went to freakin. Uh, and apparently the um, uh, the studio eventually settled on Freakin because of French Connection and success. Mm-hmm. And the screenwriter and, and author of the novel, you know, pushed for Freakin because he thought that he wanted the same style of documentary style, as you mentioned, right. from French Connection on this. More of like a this really happened sort of deal. Um, right. and, and I think they definitely achieved that. I mean, you want to talk about the, as the screenwriter? Do you do you are you familiar with William Peter Blatty or I mean? Do you, yeah, do you, you know it? what I know about William Peter Blatty, I know he was a novelist.
0: And then he adapted his own his own book. I know that him and Friedkin uh, they clashed a bit when it came to the final cut of the movie, but I think they if I remember right, the development process was pretty. Oh, it was a was a pretty good good marriage with them. Um, I don't know much about his other works. I do I do have a a soft spot in my
1: heart for Exorcist Three. I don't know if you've hmm. seen that. We'll have to do but, that. Uh, that, yes. we'll, that we'll we'll he definitely do that, that at some point. Yeah, he That's directed like- that. I need that in a couple years. I need a couple yeah. years buffer between the, the exorcist pod and then the exorcist three pod, but it will, it will happen. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, will, I,
0: the William Peter Blatty, I, I think I remember something that he was like on a Groucho Marx, uh, TV show and won like 10 grand or something, and then decided to take some time off to finish a novel, which became the exorcist. I, I always love that story that, you know, you always hear someone's going to write the great novel and, and he wrote, you know, the, the greatest exorcism novel of all time that became the greatest exorcism movie of all time.
1: Uh, it, um, and Spot, like initially thought about that idea because of an article he read in the newspaper about exorcism. Oh, he right. wasn't even yeah. particularly fascinated about mm-hmm. the subject. He, he was Catholic, but he wasn't like a devout Catholic. And so mm-hmm. kind of a random, like you know, he wasn't particularly passionate, but he ended up writing kind of definitive text on this thing. Sure. It's interesting why he would get to make that turn from comedy slapstick comedy to, sure. to that. Sure. Yeah, no.
0: And, and, you know, I read that script, uh, years ago and, and it's such a, it reads like a novel. And I say that in a good way, like, like, you know, Freakin's a director, Freakin had the vision for, for the movie for sure. But Blatty, those were his characters. And, and, and he put, like, we talked about it earlier. He put so much heart into making us care about everyone. And, and I want to talk a little bit about like, you know, uh, Father Karras, like just just like his relationship with his mother like i just i felt you you don't these aren't throwaway characters at all you really do feel for every single person
1: and and that's like that's the writer right there in my in my opinion no doubt yeah i mean he immediately yeah. creates stakes because you care about everybody everybody and, and i mean it, freaking's able to do it in a minute and a half scene um suddenly mm-hmm. you're, you're buy into Karis's plight but it really i mean it's on the page before i, I will say in the, sure. the documentary i watch freaking hated the first draft and apparently took mm-hmm. the novel and kind of, I mean, he kind of adapted it himself and drew brackets around sections of the novel that he felt were the pivotal the pivotal pieces of the, the story right. that needed to go in and, and some dialogue too. Uh, but he thought that, that Blatty had included unnecessary elements uh from to his make book. it to make it cinematic or or because blatty was was blatty just was like, holding uh, he was holding on to the part parts he loved. As writers, we it. both know there's some of those scenes that you love absolutely that, you, that someone who comes in and cuts and it, you know it doesn't belong in there, but uh you just you it's your baby. You don't want to let it go. Absolutely. Uh awesome. so that was uh that was uh, the writer and director really a great pair and a lot of what we see in the seventies mm. is a is a transcendent Uh, a transcendent director with a real clear vision, working with a a transcendent script. And what you get is incredible product, which doesn't happen as much anymore. Um, I feel like the old guy, anytime I'm on a movie pod talking about how shit's not the same, but it it just, just not, not as much money for those type films. Um, It's also interesting
0: that at that time, you know, nowadays, you know, studios are corporations. There's lots of cooks in the kitchen. And, And back then it was, you know, the studio was worried about this movie. They had no idea what freaking was shooting. They were, dropping by set all the time the set burned down i don't know if you know about that but the set burned down uh nine people died
1: um, um, <laughs> um, in, involved in the production um yep. yeah, the set burned down there's everyone that talks about it kind of makes it seem mm-hmm. conspiratorial like mm-hmm. uh either religious powers burned it down or there's someone that just you know some devout catholic that was pissed about the movie being made snuck that on the water right. brothers
0: Absolutely. I mean, Freakin went and shot that whole opening sequence in Iraq. Like, there's stuff that they did on this movie that just wouldn't fly today. Um, So, yeah.
1: The studio wanted, uh, you know, moving into IMDb and potentially bullshit Google trivia. uh, The studio wanted Marlon Brando in the role of Lancaster Marin. And Freakin immediately vetoed this by saying it would become a, quote, Brando movie. Uh, mm-hmm. and then they wanted Nicholson for Karis, uh, before they eventually got their man. Uh, and then Paul Newman apparently expressed interest once he read the script. The script was apparently passed around Hollywood, just kind mm-hmm. of like back then. Yeah, uh, I know, I know, like, around. uh,
0: I know that Shirley McLean was gonna do, uh, was gonna play, um, uh, um, the mother, uh, Chris Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, I yeah. oh, wow, that too, but I, but like, I think, uh, if I remember, I surely passed on this movie
1: to do another possession movie that no one's ever heard of, which I always Oops, find amusing. Tough beat. Yeah. 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 Uh, and this is, again, probably bullshit. Yeah. Audrey Hepburn was first approached, but only said she'd mm. only do it if it, the production was moved to Rome, where she had lived at that point.
0: Uh, oh, then man.
1: Went to Anne Bancroft. She said she's willing to do it, but she'd just become pregnant and said they had to wait nine months, and they couldn't oh. do it. Uh, and then she went to Jane Fonda, who said, quote, she turned it down because it was a piece of capitalist rip-off bullshit, which is the most oh, Jane boy. Fonda quote at that time who was picketing, sure. fighting the good fight, uh, probably in D.C. at this time. Still <laughs> and still <laughs> is. And still is. The Exorcist uh, set box office records that stood until 2017. Can you guess which R-rated film usurped its spot as the highest grossing R-rated film?
0: Oof, In 2017? Yep. Get Out? It.
1: Stephen ah, King, yeah, I know. Good guess though. Get nice. out. It's good. Um, nice. That was a, uh, that was fascinating to me. That is insane. Um, yeah. I mean, of course it's adjusted for inflation, but, but still like, still. Again, those, are, those were the days, be, those are the days
0: before multi- multiplexes. So people waited in line. Yeah. I just, uh, I love
1: that. Willie Freakin said that he cast Jason Miller as Karis because he'd seen him in a stage play and his performance mm-hmm. reeked of failed Catholicism. That's amazing.
0: And and while we're on Jason Miller, can we a little fun trivia about him? You do know who his son? He has two uh, famous sons. You know who they are? No, I have no idea. Jason Patrick. Oh, isn't that amazing? And then, and then uh, I think his name is Joshua John Miller, who is a writer of one of my favorite horror movies called The Final Girls. I don't know if you ever saw that. Never seen it. It's amazing. It's Todd strauss jolson directed it. It's a uh, it's like an '80s types, not not spoof, but satire, and and uh, and he also Joshua John Miller, who's a writer now, was the, the child in *Near Dark*, the vampire movie.
1: Oh yeah, like the child vampire. So, so those are both of Jason Miller's kids, Jason I Patrick, I can totally see that he channels right? the very same energy. Uh, I feel like mm-hmm. still had like uh, could have had a great career, and just I don't know what happened to him, but I, I, I there's a universe yeah. in which. He's out there taking like, I mean, he, he took over, I don't know. like He might not even Josh Harden. It just disappeared off the face right. of the earth.
0: Sure, sure. I mean, I didn't see Wayward Pines season two, but I was, you know,
1: he was back on TV, or he was for a little bit. Huh. But no, I, uh, I like Jason Patrick. But yeah, Af- Jason. African-American. Jason oh, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. African-American enthusiasm for The Exorcist uh, has been credited with ending mainstream studio support for Black's Palatian movies because oh, wow. apparently the Black audience flocked to The Exorcist And Warner Brothers didn't even open it in traditionally African-American neighborhoods because they assumed they wouldn't go see it. Eventually figured out they would and made a killing Mm -hmm. on that market as well. So affected a whole genre, uh, according to bullshit Google trivia. (laughs) Good. Awesome, Google trivia. <laughs> uh, any other things that you read? I mean, Pazuzu you mentioned is the name of the the demon who we kind of learn more about yeah, in the sequels, but isn't mentioned sure. in this in yeah. the first. And movie.
0: by the way, and and you know, I've seen this movie countless times. Honestly, like I, I watched that in LA. They have this this uh, festival called Beyond Fest. It's amazing. It's every year in October, and and they did a they did a screening of the director's cut last year. And like, and so so I I watch it like yearly, and it just struck me like on my rewatch. They don't say Pazuzu. I just, I don't know why I never picked up on that before. It's so ingrained in, in, you know, the movie and that, that, that face
1: flashing. Yeah. They don't say Pazuzu and that's just bizarre to me. And the the face flashing was actually a makeup test for Linda Blair. Uh, So which is I mean, I don't know if that's true, but that's interesting as well. That's just freaking inserting frames that he wasn't going to use just to, I don't know, subliminally get an effect. Um, Accolades nominated for 10 Academy Awards in 74 one Ooh. two uh one for best adapted screenplay so our boy bladdy's got a oscar gold and then best Excellent. sound mixing Um uh, was of course nominated for the power oscars best picture best actress and ellen burstein and supporting actor jason miller linda player okay. best His, supporting. it's a uh, miller's first movie as well right um and wow. best cinematography owen roisman who's kind of the you know him and um he was really one of the best working cinematographers at the time shot the french connection and then went on to do most of uh Friedkin's work in the 70s uh sorcerer who's another big movie of mine. i fucking love sorcerer love sorcerer i will tell you that is a that's a movie i'm in a bar and i'm like i don't know i don't know why we'd be talking about william Freakin', but if we were and i was like have you ever seen sorcerer and i could do yeah. like 30 minutes on sorcerer and yeah. if another person has seen it then we're i'm like all right well Let's just go over to the corner here and talk about sorcerer. Uh,
0: again, one of the perks of living in Los Angeles is that, like I, I get uh, treated back when the world had movie theaters, I was treated to a lot of these like these create these great opportunities. And one of them was Friedkin rented out a movie theater and played his cut of sorcerer for like three weeks straight. And it was oh, that's unbelievable. Fucking awesome. unbelievable. Yeah. unbelievable.
1: And his cut too, which is I mean, I know that he battled with the studio on that. It was just a, mm-hmm. a fraught production. And most of his yes. productions are. I think that's kind yeah. of because of we've, we've established why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, any other general thoughts on the excess for moving to categories? No, let's, let's let's go for it. All right. Uh, first category, who gets the most buckets in this movie, which are category for best acted. Derek, who do you got? Like
0: I keep bringing them up. I, I love Jason Miller in this mainly because I haven't seen him in anything else. And I think about him all the time, whether it's, it's the look he has. It's the way he he talks about his mother and handles his mother. It's the heartbreak and it's it's his demise at the end. It's so tragic. I, it's such a haunting performance. So like, like obviously, like Linda did great. Linda was amazing. Linda is what everyone's going to talk about. But Jason Miller is the unsung hero. I give I give him the 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 win on this.
1: Yeah, it's a good pick. He really is. Um, and, and for him to not have a career going forward, it's very interesting. I wonder what happened. Mm. I'm sure that I, I didn't look it up, but uh, he might have well have just been in some movies that bombed. And that, back in the 70s, that was death for mm. an actor. But sure. um, yeah, I, I, maybe, maybe you know what happened to him. Yeah, incredible performance. And I feel like the fact that I didn't know who he was really mm. matters. Uh, mm. I, I'm, I think that if it's Nicholson or Paul Newman, um, mm-hmm. I, I get a little distracted by those guys because they're very showy performers. Like I just can't fathom Absolutely. Nicholson channeling the good that Jason, that Jason Miller does. Absolutely. Um, and, and just that he really is like the, the scenes alone uh, anytime he's in that little shit apartment that he has, or, or just, just I don't know. It's just like, he's always a little, like you feel like he's almost a little drunk Um. or maybe he's not he's those alcoholic. Human,
0: no, it's those human touches. It's, you know, he, it's him drunk in the bed and, and, and his friend taking his shoes off and, it's him regretting not being like it's it's his reaction when when the when his friend's saying oh you could or his uncle's saying oh you you could have had a, a a penthouse on Park Avenue if you were a doctor instead of a priest you know like the, the, and the, his reaction to that is so heartbreaking and that's what sticks
1: with me. I love when he says there isn't a day in my life when I haven't felt like a fraud. Like and he's okay, he, he's talking exactly. about it's incredible dialogue, but I mean it's it's just. Uh, delivered yeah. fantastically. It, it's a good pick. I, I'm going to go Linda Blair because I, I feel like she just yeah. needs to be talked about and I can see another category where we talk about her. I mean, right um, I think her first role too uh, is 12 yeah. years old and uh, comes in to play this, I mean, basically an impossible role. When you think about casting for this, at this time in particular, yep. you're trying to find a 12 year old that can kind of tackle this weighty subject matter and do it convincingly. I mean, yep. it is very difficult and she pulls it off. And uh, I mean, the movie, the, her, she's the linchpin, right? If she comes up, yep any particular kind of way not believable uh, either yeah. as little girl that's innocent or as the the evil villain um, the evil mm-hmm. possessed uh, you, you just can't buy it she's both sympathetic um, and also you know like you, you can believe that she's strong enough to sort of fight the demon and not be like completely taking control uh, I just uh, yeah I think she's absolutely.
0: fantastic and again like you know on the rewatch it's like when you watch Linda in these early scenes she is so childish in it right and that's like and i love her relationship with her mother i love how much her mom loves her and how much her mom doesn't want to disappoint her and, and, and so she she just plays both sides so well that it doesn't feel like a kid acting it feels like i know that someone else did her demon voice but it doesn't matter it's it, she is haunting and creepy uh like th- once she the once the possession happens she's wonderful
1: the the scene i think about the most with her is that mm. there's a, a scene where her mom's on the phone trying to get in touch with her dad who's a wob. again great writing mm. like never come out and say it but it's it's understood that the dad kind of split right before the events of the movie and that it's a yeah. source object, obviously and, and it pans back and then we see linda listening to the call um yeah kind of just like silently you, you see that in all the times and like you know, broken homes or whatever. is like sure. a kid listening to their parent having, a, you know, emotionally charged conversation uh, and the, her silent rage and also sadness is, is a great moment there. You know, uh, you know big-
0: it's great. I picked up on something with her early on, you know, Captain Howdy is the, is her imaginary friend. That is, you know, uh, the, the demon, that's what she was calling him, Captain Howdy. And on, and on the rewatch, I picked up that uh, that's the name of her father is Howard. Yeah, Howdy and Howard. There's a play. Like, I don't know. I don't know why that hit me like just then, but it's
1: heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, no doubt filling that void, and I mean that yeah. just that just uh, when you see a vulnerable person. Um, yeah, so six man slash woman of war makes the most of their role with limited screen time. Uh, I mean, my pick is uh, Max von like Sydow. I feel like interesting. I feel like I love I love how he's at the beginning of the film. Which, by the way, mm-hmm. I fucking love when movies start. Like in kind of remote locations and start Mm -hmm. seeing in a seemingly unrelated fashion to what the main story is going to be. But then, I mean, it's it's obviously set up and it pays off. But you've got this old guy who's, by the way, 45 when Mm -hmm. he shoots an old man makeup, which actually I didn't know the first couple of times I watched it. I was like, has he always been the old Swedish guy? Uh, that's or, amazing you know, no. and, and, and uh so yeah i didn't realize that but he shows up he's like digging doing a little indiana jones digging through some ruins finds like an old statue of a, the demon pazuzu is like visibly shaken and it's like this 10 minute opening that mm-hmm. any studio now would be like can you cut that to 15 seconds absolutely uh, and, and and but they just let it linger on this guy and then you leave him for an hour and a half and then he comes back mm-hmm. in for the penultimate exorcism but the wonderful me, entrance the yeah, hell of an entrance it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, literally, one, one of the most like picturesque entrances we Sorry. saw in the trailer um, gets dropped off, and the light just I mean, I don't know if they purposely lit that light coming through the window, but I mean, yeah, cinematographers it's, it's based off
0: that. Uh, it's based off a famous painting by uh, oh, I can't remember what it's called Rene yeah. Mag- Magritte. Yeah. But I read it's, that too. Yeah, it's beautiful.
1: Uh I, I think he's I mean he's obviously like I mean he was a historic uh actor in Sweden, um, was in a ton of of, of films that you can watch on the Criterion channel right now. Sure. Um, Bergman, and he's like the big Bergman guy and and he's phenomenal in his own right in international cinema. But yeah. I feel like he's always good at playing this character. Uh and Very I think so. he he make he sells the final bit of buy-in into Father uh, Karen because like he, he he kind of becomes the mentor immediately. And then mm-hmm. once he passes, then we see Karen kind of make that ultimate sacrifice. And I, I don't know. I, I anytime Max von Sydow's in, I'm I'm like fuck yeah, like I'm ready yeah, to okay. listen to this old guy's spit some wisdom.
0: Right on. No, he yeah, he's the greatest. My my answer would be Kinderman. So Lee Lee J Cobb. I love Kinderman with a passion. And I'll tell you,
1: Lee Lee J Cobb, big Cobb guy here.
0: Like big Cobb, guy man. Let's fucking go. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So so Kinderman, I love because he is that. Uh, he, he loves the movies so much and I love movies. So I just want him to find his friend to go to the movies. And, uh, <laughs> and the fact that I remembered that the Lieutenant that's, you know, investigating the case, like I can remember personal things about him is he, he has struck a chord in me. So that's my unsung hero.
1: He's uh he's so good in everything. And I everything. love that. He's like the every man. He's like the, uh, just the every looking guy. Like the guy that back in the seventies, there were so many of those guys, They Mm -hmm. just look like they could be anyone, but they were like renowned actors. And I feel like everyone now is so fucking handsome. And it's like, we need more of those guys, you know, like Steve Buscemi. Yeah.
0: um,
1: Just around for the, for just the working class guy. We can't all be Gosling. Um, That's right. Yeah. So that's a great (laughs) pick. And, and uh, I think, I feel like the Lieutenant stuff, the police investigation Mm. stuff probably hit the cutting room floor the most um, in terms of novel to screenplay, because, he's not in it much he's good but i feel like right. that kind of angle is not as explored in the movie. no it,
0: it's not but it but it warms my heart when he asks for an autograph for himself you yeah. remember that
1: yeah <laughs> so yeah great. yeah does anyone ever uh, tell you, you look like paul newman uh <laughs> <laughs> he's like yeah that's yeah. oh. good stuff um, yeah, yeah he's wonderful he is iso play single greatest scene so I've i've got some nominations here uh, and then feel free to feel free to throw some in. I've only got three and I'm sure there'll be more, but I've got the opening Iraq epilogue. Mm-hmm. Um, that sets up everything or prologue rather. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've got the angiography scene uh, and, I, and that, that kind of the medical That's procedure well, yeah. process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've got the exorcism, of course, penultimate nine minutes on screen, kind of the, the, obviously the climax of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But what, you know, what, what are some scenes I'm missing? Some, some smaller scale, you know, like character scenes. I, I know I'm missing some.
0: I mean, you know, I I brought it up when when uh, when Karis is going into uh, the mental institution to see his mother, that that always strikes me because, again, it is a guy who who has failed in his mind, has failed his mother. And that 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 sticks with me in terms of just, again, haunting me. And and as I got old, as I get older, those are the things I think about Um, the scene that always. When I think of The Exorcist, always sticks out is the dinner party. You know, you have Burke Dennings, who's trashed and, and saying the funniest, most horrible things, calling the butler a Nazi
1: over yeah, and over he, again. He really comes at that guy. Uh, I mean, right. I feel, for what reason? I mean, is it the, the guy, like, does he have blonde hair? He has an accent. He's got a German yeah. accent. Oh, no, that's so, right. Like, <laughs> Just so. immediately thrust the Third Reich on him. It's like, that's uh, right. Yeah.
0: So I love that scene, but then of course it ends with you know Reagan coming down and and pissing the floor and telling the astronaut that he's gonna die up there, and so that that scene is that's the moment in the movie where you realize okay this things are going bad now, and I, I so I love that scene, and um, and I like that you brought up the uh, the medical scene again because that that one yes it scared me but I have a little piece of fun trivia that I wish I would have brought up earlier. But do you do you know that one of the techs in that scene is a real life alleged serial killer? No. That's brutal. Paul Paul Bateson, I think it's his name. Batson Bateson is is played a, he he was a he worked at the hospital and he was the guy wheeling Reagan in to get an x-ray. Um and and I guess Friedkin, when he was making a movie called Cruising, was uh Ooh, which cruising. which is about a serial killer in, in gay bars in New York City uh that movie was about a um, a murder in the gay community who was you know picking up guys at bars sleeping with them and then murdering them cutting them up and dropping them in bags into the into the river that's paul bateson is that guy allegedly i don't think he's been you know i don't think he's been uh, arrested for it but i'm not positive but that's him in the movie which makes it even more chilling that like you know wow. uh, that that uh that linda blair was around this like this guy that was going home at night and i allegedly killing people
1: <laughs> not to mention the vet that freaking goes on to make a movie like inspired by what, what are what are the odds you know and yeah. he didn't know that he's making the movie then it's like why
0: have i why where have i seen this guy before
1: yeah. oh he was in the exorcist i watched him like for seven collective hours in the editing room as we cut right. those hospital scenes together i always yeah. thought that's sort of
0: like fun fun creepy trivia but no that scene uh stands out and i also something else about that scene is the doctor smoking cigarettes I, oh, I, I, don't why. <laughs> I don't know why that
1: gets me so much. There's certain things put my antenna up and it's like yeah. smoking on planes, no security yeah. at airports. Like yeah. you know, the two towers, when that appears in a movie, I'm always mm-hmm. like, Oh, my god!" Uh, it, it's just, yeah. And then of uh, course, look,
0: I, like I want to talk about, I, I want to talk about the fin- the final scene. Cause that's obviously the, you know, the, the, the climax of the movie. Um, and just like the heartbreak of, the, the, the exorcist steps, but I don't know. I feel like that. I feel like that's well ingrained in culture and pop culture and everyone knows it. So I wanted to, I wanted to single out those, those lesser known scenes.
1: Yeah. And another scene that really jumps out to me too. I, I love, uh, I love guys like, uh, planning mission slash like setting a, uh, schemes up scenes. Yeah. Uh, so two scenes jump out as the the Catholic the two the Catholics meeting together and figuring out who they're going to bring in for the exorcism. Ooh, like that, that whole cool. like whole setup. And he's like, "Oh, Maron's been in Iraq and he's back now." And they, they set yeah, up the he whole how, a, how old a, thing.
0: Or you know, Maron had a he had a tough experience in East Africa, which yeah. they end up making two spinoff movies about. You know,
1: right? That's true. I, off one yeah. line in, in this, right. this script, they, I, they love, I like spin-off. I love stuff like that yeah and uh and so i, li- I like that and I also like the the scene uh where Marin's preparing karis uh, about you know kind of what to expect and he's explaining to them like that the demon's a liar and that he's mm-hmm. going to try to attack their psychologies of course that sets up the payoff of karis's mother and all that and yeah. uh, i love that we're like mentors telling you know acolyte yeah. like here's what you got to look for and, and you're you as the audience you're just like gearing up to you're like putting on your boxing gloves ready to go into the mm-hmm. ring and it sets up this kind of battle where, in a movie now, I mean, it would be so ridiculous. Like the the, the <laughs> girl would be flying around CGI. Right. She'd be like spinning in the air. It'd be so much mm. gorier. Like, and it's it just such a fucking small scale character driven sure. drama. And that's what makes it, it work. I don't think that anyone gets that now. I that's mean, why. I, that's why I call it an art
0: film. It's a horror art film. It really is. Though it's a blockbuster. It, it is. It could. It could work
1: like a stage play. So you want to do a couple minutes on the exorcism itself and that from the ultimate scene. I'll let you have the floor. I know everyone knows about it, but what, you know, yeah. like you, you've got these guys going in the ring with this demon. You've got, yeah. um, you got nine minutes here. It's just the, the kind of the whole movie hinges on this one moment and the payoff there. Karis, of course, uh, you know, Marin passes of a heart attack, which have you always interpreted that to be like, because of the demon, or because yeah, would... I
0: mean, again, it, it it always shocks, it always like bumps me in a way. Like yeah. I don't, I feel like when you when you make you know you have this grand entrance for this character who has it, you spent this whole opening prologue with, and you know they've done spinoff movies. I hate I hate that his demise was like that. I feel like he needed to go down swinging, but that's almost what's scarier about it is that you know Pazuzu or this this demon is powerful enough to take this. Um, anointed one and and render him you know like like he failed you know what he failed and that's where you know carries's had to come in and finish the job and it's I,
1: I it always bumped me I don't know if it, I don't know if it bothered you but it always surprises yeah. me when he walks back in yeah. and he's dead. I'm always like, oh, I forget. I always forget that happens because it's mm-hmm. off screen. All the deaths are off screen, yeah. which is, you know, it's, it's great. It's Jaws, right? It's scarier what you don't see. Um, right. And it kind of leaves it to the imagination of what happened to. what. what to is Marin. your. Interpretation?
0: Cause, cause uh, remind me if you, cause I'm not as fresh. Did the demon say something personal about him that got under his skin?
1: No, I mean, it's, it's trying. It's, it's, it's you yeah. know, saying stuff about the Catholic church, but Marin, I don't think the demon knows as much about Marin near Marin's kind of a new present. So it doesn't know yes. his like personal struggles or whatever, mm-hmm. but I think it's just like, it's such a powerful demon. They needed two guys like full yeah. strength saying all the things uh, to keep mm-hmm. the demon at bay. And once Karis started to be weak and left, that's when yeah. the demon was able to focus all of its power on this kind of like elderly man whose heart just gave out. But there I, it is. I don't okay. know if, you know, I don't know if it would have been, it probably wouldn't have been better if we'd seen the scene of like the demon slashing the throat of, I don't know that, right. that's where it gets kind of like, all right, you know? Uh right. So I think it's, it's great the way it is. And then Karras, yeah, they made the right, they made the right call. All yeah. right. And Karras comes in and then takes in the demon. And there's all this talk now about how the demons entire purpose was to actually possess Karis. And it, in mm-hmm. fact, tells, tells them that plan when it says, you know, like uh, what a great date for an exorcism. And it, it basically says, I can't wait to get out of Reagan and into you. Uh, and mm-hmm. then we can become one. Um, and so that I, I feel like the scene where he shrieks and then mm-hmm. the, the camera follows him. It's like a steady cam or whatever the equivalent of a steady cam was then, but it's like sure. follows them out the window. It's like such a shocking moment and it's such a great mm-hmm. coda on a scene that I can't. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, I can't. I, I, the first time I saw it, I was blown away. I can't imagine having been in the theater for that. Yeah. Um, and then the last rights are issued by that's father what, Dyer. That's what
0: crushes me father oh, Dyer dude. giving
1: him the last rites crushes me every time yeah and classic freaking apparently mm-hmm. 20 takes in two o'clock in the morning <laughs> can't, can't get can't get the shot he wants and so he goes up to this guy and asks, do you trust me guy says yes and then he slaps the shit out of him <laughs> while when before he had told the camera to roll cameras slaps and yeah. steps back and then that's the cut they use in the film and Amazing. you can see he's trembling and the actors like I couldn't find the, the motivation. And that was where it was. So wow. I, just, I mean, oh so many things have to go right. Right. For this. Oh to boy. This all to come together. But um, yeah. yeah, I just I, what I envision is like Alexandro, whatever, the guy that directed The Revenant slapping DiCaprio when he's getting eaten by a bear. Uh, that's mm-hmm. very comical thought for me.
0: Well, by the way, the Re- I feel like the Revenant shoot, that's for another conversation, but I feel like that might
1: have happened during the Revenant as well. <laughs> that's true. They were far <laughs> enough out in the woods, and DiCaprio, I yeah. feel like, it's like, kind of into that. I feel like yeah. he'd be into that sort of thing. Right. Uh, so, funny. do you have any other comments on the the climatic exorcism scene, see, stuff well, that you I wanted just, to point out?
0: Again, I just love the sound design
1: of, uh, like, the, the the voice
0: of, of uh, you know, Reagan, possessed Reagan. I love that voice. It's so chilling. You know the score. There's no real score. It's just you know, uh, it's just like this breathing, the sounds of breathing and the frosty breath. It, it's
1: just it's a, it's atmospheric and just beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it, it, anytime someone asks me like, "What is sound design? Like, what does that even mean?" I'm like, exorcist You know, like that, yeah. like the, the voice, the head turning around, creating that. What that sounds like. Obviously, they didn't really turn a person's head around. You know, so they yeah. have to they have to create sounds. And that I think that usually drives home the point. Um, yeah. Most quotable and quote. What do you? Oh, sorry. Most quote, I mean, look. Know?
0: Well, I was saying we were doing ourselves a disservice by not talking about the crucifix masturbation scene in terms of that's scenes true. that stick out. I, I think feel like honestly, we'll I like, disappoint
1: people if we don't. It kind of makes me uncomfortable. Uh, it and, does. And, to talk and, about and, it for sure. It does, and I, I think like that's kind of why I like almost subconsciously avoided it. Um, but yep. but I, I mean, it, it is. It, it is the moment where you're like. Fuck! This is like going sideways in a real way, in a way that we haven't seen on screen before. So, what what do you got about that scene?
0: I mean, look, yeah. that's one when I saw it really young. I had no idea what was right. happening, and it freaked me out. And now, as an adult, it still freaks me out. And it's still it is one of those moments that, like like in Jaws, where you see you know what's his name Ben Ben's face and the the, the you know the face pops up on Richard Dreyfuss with the shark teeth in it. Mm. It's like it's that shocking moment where you realize this is not a PG Mart movie. This movie is scary and this movie is wrong and uh, and blasphemous and dirty. And this is why people were passing out in the theaters. So in a way, it's like oh, that this is the horror of it all. It's a this it's a it's the first instance of visceral uh, body horror, you know? Um, yeah,
1: yeah. And I mean, again, I, I, it always
0: I, sticks in me, the- and it's perverse. Obviously, it's perverse, and. Uh, yeah, I feel like we just
1: had to mention it. It checks out too. Like if I'm trying to write like a very blasphemous thing, mm-hmm. that like I would assume a demon would do with my human brain, <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's like that checks out. Yeah. Like it's like okay, yeah, it's like, like
0: there's a, there's a kid cursing and there's a kid masturbating with a crucifix, and 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 this movie just does both.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're like oh, okay, we got both. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and and two another thing that I listened to in the documentary was the the crucifix itself is is was what used to damage her. Like she's cut herself with it. Like all of her cuts yes. and whatnot is she hurting herself with it, as if. That's to show. interesting. I, I thought that was from the holy water, but you're probably right. That's well. That, that's what they intended anyway. I mean, I like I don't it. know what's the reality, but the, uh, most of the cuts were done with the idea that she used the sharp edge of the crucifix to, uh, like, so that as she got more continuously possessed, all of the yeah. body damage on her was her own doing. It wasn't like suddenly she morphed to become a different thing entirely she still looks Mm -hmm. like reagan it's just that she's clearly like damaged herself and Mm -hmm. i do like in the last last scene you could still see the scars of you know the Mm -hmm. the the, the damage um but kind of like realize that it's not like you just move past this and become a normal human being Uh,
0: most quotable quote
1: i've got the the demon what an excellent day for an exorcism Uh, i mean
0: i've got the power of christ compels you i say it all the time in jest
1: yeah. I that, that. That's I mean, that's just that that's that's really probably it. But there mm-hmm. I love the quote that um when the the demon tells Karis to take off the straps and he's like, Well, you know, he's like, Who are you? And she's like, I'm the devil, and he's like, Well, if you're the devil, just make them disappear. And she says that's much too vulgar a display of power, Karis. And mm. shout out Pantera, by the way, that's where Pantera got the, uh, the Interesting. album title.
0: Um, Interesting,
1: but yeah, I, I love that line. And it's like, it, it's like they're playing verbal chess and jousting and you know, you can, the demons like willing to have a conversation with you. Like it's not beyond, it's not just going to like puke green shit on you and mm-hmm. roar at you. Like it's like down mm-hmm. to have a theological conversation about like what it means to be a demon. And how how effective it is at, at essentially luring people into being possessed, and mm-hmm. how like it, it, even demons have like limits with what they're willing to do. I always think that that line is it's a really great fucking line. For um, sure, Father Dyer. My idea of heaven is a solid white nightclub with me as a headliner for all eternity, Excellent. and they love me, which is great. Excellent. Uh, what else you got?
0: I mean, like one of my favorite demon lines is "Your mother sucks cocks in hell." <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's
1: Absolutely. just that, that's incredible. Um, just i imagine met cr- ladies poor passing Harris. out all over the audience. Yeah, that's poor it takes a beating, man. Um, it does. You know, this movie is is so it's so uh, disarmingly negative. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, unlike a lot of horror movies, which usually have some moments of and there's some moments of comedy and levity. But it reminds yes. me a lot of seven in the sense that it's so fucking dark.
0: In a it's way, dark,
1: it's, it's bleak, totally bleak, yep. and it doesn't have the moment at the end of the film where you're like, everything's going to be okay. Reagan does survive, but the mm-hmm. demon wins. I mean, yeah, it, it gets its man, and it ultimately, you know, ruins lives in the process. So it's like, right. there's no rainbows at the end of the tunnel, sort of deal.
0: Totally. And then on a lighter note, one of my favorite lines that I wrote down that I had to rewind because I didn't quite hear it right again. It's my man Burke Dennings at the dinner party. He's sitting there drunk, and he goes, "There seems to be an alien pubic hair in my gin. I've never
1: seen it before in <laughs> my life." <laughs> <That laughs> Everyone really just shockingly looks at him. Who, who do you right. think? What director do you think Freakin's going for there? I, I, I know I, he's trying to either roast somebody or pay homage to somebody. Yeah. Okay.
0: So it's the '70s. So it's probably probably fucking. Well, he's like, not. I was gonna say Polanski, but Polanski was you know European, so
1: maybe it's oh, Pechenpa, like a Palma.
0: Pechenpa, or, yeah, Pechenpa, Pechenpa
1: is a good one. The Palma. Palma's apparently yeah. like just aggressively ridiculous, yeah. He, I can see that, yeah. But uh, but he does have the like the body type of a skinny euro, so it's like yeah. is he, you know, yeah. is he Blansky. I can see, um, but, that's good.
0: Uh, one more line I love is uh, and I, I brought it up earlier, but again, Reagan coming downstairs and looking at that astronaut and saying you're gonna die up there that still gives me chills. That is a scary, scary line, especially. You know, uh, when you know Apollo, what was it? Apollo thirteen. All that stuff was happening
1: around that yeah. time. That was where you so, could very realistically die up there. Like that's, that's right. Yeah, not not a vote of confidence from Reagan there, uh, from Reagan. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that is really good and really chilling. Kind of the first turn of like we're seeing where this is going. That the peeing too. That's like something we hadn't seen. Was like how right. uncomfortable that makes people and everyone's yep. face. It's like this jovial party scene. The classic mm-hmm. drunk adults around a piano, like singing fucking Sweet Caroline, the equivalent of Sweet Caroline back then. That's uh, right. and all that. So, yeah, that, that is great. Um, any other quotes? No, that's uh, those are the ones that stick out for me. Uh, switcheroo is a dumbass category, but I like talking about Nick Cage. If you could slap Nick Cage in here, mm-hmm.
0: um, who would you? I mean, you know,
1: could be anybody. If we went Wickerman,
0: Nick Cage, we would we'd have him be Reagan for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, that he, would he's be at the range. We've seen it. He, Oh yeah. Yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He has a range. He has a range. But again, I'd like to see Nick Cage be the Burke Dennings. That's 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 my version of Nick Cage. I want to see him directing a movie and being drunk at a, at a dinner party.
1: There's a world where he's doing like, uh, All a the really, like, I mean, leaving Las Vegas, right? Like he's doing yeah. a little bit of that. He's he's maybe doing a little Fincher, like control freak, <laughs> like, you know, like, maybe yeah. did a little too much cocaine before the party kind of deal. Uh, yeah, I, I think that that could actually really work. Um, yeah, I,
0: I, I want to watch. I want to watch Nick Cage as a director explain to Chris McNeil uh, 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 her character
1: motivations and help her go through her script. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fantastic. Um, I like Nick Cage as the. Uh, and I don't want to. I don't want to replace Lee J. Cobb, but I, I like him showing up as the. I like him showing up as the cop. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that immediately sort of like disarms you and makes you maybe pay a little bit closer attention to that particular character in those scenes. Uh, sure. I, I love Lee J. Cobb, but I doubt that, you know, the general moviegoer that watches this movie now even knows that he had this insane career before this. And that he actually right. passed away, I think right after this. All right. For oh, Shane, I did not know. I, said, I, I think know that. that's right. Uh, wow. so I would love to see Nick Cage showing up in a duster and a fucking bowler <laughs> hat and just, you know, talking about movies and giving a little bit of a his unhinged you know, I don't know, like face-offness. Yeah, a, a and again, unnamed. asking
0: and asking, being very shy and asking for an autograph to you know, yeah. from, from a movie star—that does that totally feels like a Nick Cage role.
1: I, I think you know, you slide him in there. He can't be too much. He can't be too pivotal, but pivotal. But if you have like that, like he's he's great. Um, totally. So as rewatchability, I think this is an obvious one. But I mean, uh, you know, we have a, a buy on Blu-ray, a rent on iTunes. Maybe I'll yeah. catch it on HBO or you know, maybe never watch it again. For me, it's,
0: yeah,
1: go go ahead. No, I, I, it's, it's an insanely rewatchable movie. Uh, I think that you watch it and you catch new things every time. That's kind of the staple of it. It is both rewatchable as entertaining. It is also a scholarly film artifact. You know, it's something that you would teach in film school and it doesn't feel like a chore to rewatch. I'll admit to some of the European classics. Sometimes Mm. when I've rewatched them feeling a little more like schoolwork than like, while wow, I'm really into this. Um, yeah. But The Exorcist in that sort of golden age of Hollywood, the 70s, the second golden age really, was when I think I can sort of key in on these things and get them mm. from a personal level, um, yeah. as opposed to like, you know, uh, I don't know, eight and a half, for example, which is great, but, you know, I, sure. it, it's, it's kind of, you have to, to tune into that. I have to be in a very specific mood.
0: Right, right. No, Exorcist always, never fails to, uh, uh, it always delivers um and it is one of those you need it if you're a horror fan it's a staple of horror it is the the father of possession movies get it on blu-ray get it get it in whatever edition uh is is uh is the newest and the best in terms of you know preserving the film i know that freaking had a director's cut and i'd like to talk about that for a second yeah do that because i've never i've
1: never seen the director's cut okay
0: so I watched boats. I watched the theatrical cut the other night. And then I watched the director's cut last year. And I remember a few key differences and what's, what's kind of fascinating about it is uh, a lot of, a lot of Freakin's choices in the director's cut totally changes. Like, like the effect of the movie. And, and I mean that in that in the director's cut, it opens up on the house. Like you don't go to Iraq right away. It opens up on the house in Washington, DC in Georgetown. Which which is kind of unsettling and strange. And then you go to Iraq for that sequence. And it's like, I don't know why they decided to do that. It's a very strange decision. But also in the director's cut, you have that moment of Reagan doing the spider walk down the stairs. Mm. Which
1: I don't know if you, have you seen that moment? I've seen that just by existing in pop culture. Like I know about it. And
0: it came from the director's cut. And it is so jarring because it's during the dinner party. And she just goes. She just goes down that. She oh, and it's after the dinner party. But she goes down the stairs, and it never, it's never paid off. And it establishes that Reagan, once she's possessed, leaves her room. So like, so it sets up this whole like this idea of like, oh well, why is she still in her room if she can clearly leave the room? Right. So it's a it's a very conf, very confusing addition. But m- most of the changes are minor. There's a there's a nice moment with uh, with Karis and Marin during the exorcism where they take their break, and in the, in the theatrical, I think they just sit there. And they take a break, whereas uh, in the in the director's cut, they have like a meaningful emotional scene that's like I did miss that. And I, I want to go back and rewatch that so I can see sort of what they talked about. because I don't quite remember, but I remember being like, oh, that's a nice addition. I like that. And then something that's actually kind of annoying is freaking threw in a whole lot of the Pazuzu's face flashing. So we get it a couple of times in the theatrical, but in the director's cut, it's like way overdone like uh, like chris is chris is walking through the kitchen and it's like over the stove you see a little face flash and, and it's like it's like a shot it's like a shock value thing so that's yeah. so that 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 kind of bumped me but um i'm trying to do anything other those are the ones that i remember off the top of my head but it's worth checking out it's worth like it's worth seeing because it's you know again why would freaking do that i don't know
1: yeah apparently the the things i read was that blatty the director's cut was more what he wanted you know the, the that's heat. right that's yeah. what
0: i said they were they fought about the final cut and i think they kind of made amends because Freakin' and bloody worked together to put this thing together and i think i think a lot of that is the marin karis personal stuff that they added back in
1: so do you think if you had a gun to your head which one's a better mm-hmm. cut i think the theatrical is by far better
0: because it's scarier mm-hmm. uh the the again the the crab walk thing, as famous as that is, considering it's not even in the movie, the spider walk, uh, considering it's not even in the movie, really does like just change the the rules of it all. And what's so yeah. scary about The Exorcist is that it doesn't feel gimmicky. That, like you said, it doesn't feel like special effects. It feels like you know a girl in peril strapped to a bed, um, and the idea of her roaming the house and and you know it, then it becomes like alien, which I love, but that's not what this movie is.
1: Yeah, it's not like a stalker slasher like yeah Yeah, exactly uh well cool man was really fun uh you guys check out the exorcist watch it rent it it's it's almost spooky season it's a good like it's a good first movie to lead you into it and kind of take your hand and introduce you to the scarier parts of the world and also a fucking fantastic movie and i promise you will not be bored it is not the old movie that you that your parents watched that you can't identify with anymore it is a really a timeless movie and while i'm watching it I'm like, holy shit, this is a good fucking movie. And I mean, that, that's when I know that I'm in good hands, is how many times I say that to myself um, yeah.
0: as I watch. It's one of those movies you study, especially like, you know, with me, I write a lot of, I've written supernatural and possession stuff. And it's one of those touchstones that you just have to be aware of and see what worked and what didn't work. And, you know, for The Exorcist, it all worked. So, you know, that's the one to look towards. It is streaming on HBO Max, just to be helpful. If you have HBO Max, it's on there and it looks beautiful.
1: Oh, yeah. Check it out on HBO Max. I think it might mm. be coming off pretty soon. So uh, I feel like do I saw it, that it coming off at the end of September. Do it quickly. And then in no. about a year, we'll do Exodus 3. I probably got like, I don't know, 20 yes. minutes on Brad Dwarf. I think I've got like yes. 20 to 30 minutes on him. So that that's uh, that's definitely a, that's a good uh, one. The next touchstone for us. But, yep. Derek, appreciate still, you coming on, buddy. Thank you for having me. That was a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah man, uh, check out the podcast at uh the Barnburner Podcast Network on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. And we're on YouTube uh, streaming at our channel and then also on Periscope. Um so check us out and read stuff at dehyphenbarmurder.com. But Derek, you'll be back, I'm sure, man. Sweet.
0: I'd Talk love soon. to. Thanks. Bye.
1: See you later.